0: And today we're doing something a little bit different. We're talking about a really unique musical tradition that's found in North, North Mississippi as well as across, uh, across the country. But uh, we've got an expert on the line with us today from Florida who has a brand new book out, a book of photography of this, the Sacred Steel music tradition. Robert Stone's our guest, and his new book is Can't Nobody Do Me Like Jesus, Photographs of the Sacred Steel Community. Bob, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to to be with you. And uh, it's a long time since I've seen you in person, but uh, thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, we, we go back many years in the uh, kind of folklorists in the South community that meets up, that used to meet up every year and, and, and got to learn about your work uh, with this community. Um, so some people may have heard of Sacred Steel, which is kind of the name that got that has been put on it, but it it goes back many years before that. So, for those of the listeners who haven't heard about this before, maybe you could just give us an overview of what what it is and and, and where does this tradition come from?
1: Certainly, this is a African American uh, steel guitar tradition that's played in uh, churches. Two uh, related churches. They they started from a common church, and in 1930, the church uh, broke into really three. Uh, Dominions, as they call them, uh, two of them uh, have a steel guitar tradition. And uh, the steel guitar is at the very top of the musical instrument hierarchy. In these churches, no other instrument ever takes the lead part. And, uh, and the steel is really the, the leader of the musical group, which is usually uh, bass, drums, uh, and probably a keyboard, may, maybe not a keyboard, and a rhythm guitar. Uh, and this goes back to the earliest days of the electric guitar. Uh, a lot of folks aren't aware of it, but the, the first electric guitars were steel guitars. And a steel guitar uh, is simply a, uh, a guitar with the strings raised off the uh, fretboard, and you play it with a, a bar in your left hand if you're a right-handed player, <laughs> rather than playing with your fingers, fingering notes with your fingers on the left hand. The tradition, uh, all steel guitar is, is, uh, has its origins in Hawaiian music. In fact, for years, for decades, it was known as the Hawaiian guitar rather than the steel guitar. And they would call the conventional guitar with frets, they would call that the Spanish guitar. And, and some of the uh, people in these congregations still do that today. They refer to it as the Hawaiian guitar. But that in, in general use, that's sort of passé at this point.
0: And a lot of people listening may think about, oh, the the steel guitar. That's a that's a country musician instrument, and that's and they're thinking about it in terms of like that very specific sound that you hear in like traditional country music. But the players in this tradition are are kind of approach it a, a good bit differently, right?
1: It's totally different, really. When I first heard this music, uh, a, a friend of mine that was a music store owner uh, in Hollywood, Florida, down by Fort Lauderdale. Uh, gave me some leads, and when I first heard it, uh, it was like nothing I ever heard. It's it very much, uh, they make the instrument uh, imitate the uh, African-American gospel singing voice. So on hymns or, or slow gospel numbers, uh, you could uh, imagine if Aretha Franklin played the steel guitar. <laughs> this is what it would sound like. <laughs> the praise music, the up-tempo music, is is, is really rocking and uh, loud and... Uh, You know, they they make a joyful noise to praise the Lord. They dance and they have a scriptural basis for that. And uh, they really cut loose. In fact, they say, we take the brakes off in our services. So yes, it's nothing like uh, Hawaiian music or country music. And, And today, many of the musicians play the pedal steel guitar. Some of them still play the earlier version of the steel guitar, which is usually called the lap steel today. But uh, many play the pedal steel guitar, which is the same instrument to, that the country and Western uh, musicians use to make that twangy sound. But they just don't, they just don't make it twang. They use the pedals and, and all that, but they, they're not looking for a twangy sound, by and large. Every now and then, some of them will do it. But for the most part, it sounds like an electric uh, lead
0: guitar, as we'd call it. You're listening to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Robert Stone. He's got a, a new book of photography out on University Press in Mississippi. It's called Can't Nobody Do Me Like Jesus? Photographs from the Sacred Steel Community. Now, I mentioned maybe up at top that there are churches within Mississippi that are uh, part of this, these two denominations. So the churches are spread throughout. There there are, in, in multiple states, maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of the uh, the size of this community and and where it it can be found.
1: Yes, there are about 8,000 members in both churches, which is uh, the the largest one is the House of God, Keith Dominion. The uh, smaller one, which is about one-fifth its size, is the Church of the Living God, Jewel Dominion. And the Church of the Living God, Jewel Dominion, has a pretty significant presence in uh, Mississippi. I visited musicians at uh, Takapola, at a church in Takapola. I was in uh, Tupelo twice, and uh, I visited musicians in Calhoun City, but I didn't go to church there. I think there is a church nearby. I'm not sure if it's right in Calhoun City. One thing that's interesting, well, let me backtrack just a minute. Uh, These churches exist in 26 states. Most of them are in the east. But there are uh, some churches in uh, California, Los Angeles, I think maybe Oakland, and, uh, of course, churches up north. And uh, those familiar with the Great Migration know that African-Americans from Mississippi went to straight up to Chicago and Detroit. And, uh, of course, there are a lot of jobs in Detroit with the automotive industry. So there's a pretty good uh, uh presence of, of of jewel dominion churches in mississippi and illinois as a result of that migration i've documented musicians in uh in the state of new york rochester new york uh new york city queens north and south carolina georgia of of course florida did a lot of work in florida mississippi there may be some some state i'm leaving out but uh there are in many states. Of course, I was doing this work at my own expense, so I was somewhat limited in what I could do, but I did a lot. Oh, well, of course, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, the House of God, Keith Dominion, has their headquarters church in Nashville, Tennessee. They also claim it, uh, uh, and as far as I know, this is valid. I, has, I haven't had anyone dispute it, but uh, the clergy claims that this is the first Pentecostal church founded by a woman it was founded in 1903 and in fact i went to their centennial celebration in nashville at the headquarters church in 2003
0: and so how did you so you you did a lot of you did documentation all over the kind of the eastern half of the country for this of course based in florida you've worked a lot with the florida based musicians and you mentioned up at the beginning kind of how you first got word about this but how did you how did you Tell about your kind of your initial experiences with it, and and how you got to be, you know, so focused in terms of documenting and, and writing about this tradition.
1: Yes, well, by the way, I have uh, I wrote a three hundred page book that was published by the University of Illinois Press in two thousand and ten. I was producer of uh, eight CD albums for uh, the Arhuli Record Company, which is now owned by Smithsonian Folkways and also directed uh, a 55-minute video for the Arhuli Foundation. As I said, I got the leads from my, my friend who was down in uh, Hollywood, Florida. And right away, uh, the, the musicians that whose names and contact information he got from me, they said, Well, I'm not really that great. You need to listen to uh, Aubrey Gent and Glenn Lee who were down there, Aubrey Aubrey was in Fort Pierce and Glenn Lee was way down south in uh, southern Miami-Dade County in Perrine, where actually <laughs> I went to elementary school in Perrine. I grew up down there. So uh, as soon as I heard this music, uh, I, I got permission from my boss to go down and do sort of a reconnaissance trip and jumped off the deep end. I interviewed Aubrey, interviewed and recorded Aubrey at his house in uh, his apartment in Fort Pierce. And then that later that day, that night, I went to uh, a big uh, assembly in uh, Pompano Beach and there was probably 300 people there and it was rocking. In fact, uh, Aubrey warned me, uh, he said, I hope this isn't too much for you. And I, I couldn't imagine what could be too much about a serv- church service. But, uh, and it, it wasn't too much for me, but I, but I certainly knew what he meant. There was a lot of energy. A lot of people wholly dancing and f- filled with the spirit, a loud music. Uh, it went on for quite a while. There were probably, uh, I don't know, more than 300 people there. It was in a historically black uh, high school auditorium there. And uh, I brought back samples uh, of that music. It was my first foray was with a digital recorder. This was in 1992. And I brought back some samples. And uh, make a long story short, it, it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. It was just wonderful, different music, and uh, I got a grant from the uh, for the Florida Folklife Program from from the National Endowment for the Arts, Folk and Traditional Arts Program to do a survey of the music in Florida and produce a. At that time, it was a cassette album and a I think a 32-page booklet, and uh, then uh, I pitched that album to uh, Arhoolie because, as we know, uh, distribution is everything and Chris Rockwitz at our loved it he was on an unforgettable day he called me one day between christmas and new year's and he said i'm calling about this incredible recording <laughs> and i said wow cuz he was sort of my one of my heroes a real uh, outstanding person in, in documenting and recording and informing the public about roots music so then it just took off from there. And yes, the, the the title of the first album was Sacred Steel, traditional African-American sacred music in Florida. And uh, people, uh, uh, both the, the church communities, as well as the public, just liked the sound of that name, Sacred Steel. Before that, uh, the, the musicians and the churches, they didn't have a name for it. They just called it praise music or uh, jubilee music and of course their hymns and gospel music but they like that name sacred steel and it became uh you know a, a usable term especially when some of these music musicians started going to festivals and other public venues different bands could come and if anyone had heard a group that was called sacred steel Even if the group that was coming to their particular festival was someone they hadn't heard, they knew what to expect. You know, as I make the analogy to Chicago blues, if you've heard a Chicago blues band, you probably know what to expect if you hear another Chicago blues band.
0: This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. We're back on the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Arts Commission, and today we're talking with Robert Stone. He's a photographer, folklorist, From Florida, and he's got a new book out called Can't Nobody Do Me Like Jesus, photographs from the sacred steel community. And although this tradition spans across the U.S., there are churches in Mississippi. So we're bringing him in today to talk about this tradition and his new book. So, Bob, the book kind of covers, shows kind of over the years, all the the documentation that you've done of this community, uh, you know, in, in a variety of settings. The interesting thing about the tradition as you show it is how it, it has this very documented kind of lineage within the, within the church, and you kind of show that. I'm, I'm sure you've shown that in all the other, you know, your book, your other book and other things, but I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that at first, kind of just how it's maybe a little bit about the early, uh, some of the earliest players and how it's gotten passed down within the church itself or the or the two churches.
1: Certainly. The, the earliest players that I know of, and I don't claim to uh, have, you know, definitive history of who was first. And, and frankly, I think that's a little bit uh, unnecessary. But Willie Eason's older brother, Willie Eason was raised in Philadelphia. He was actually born in South Georgia, moved to Philadelphia during a great migration. He was born in 1921 when he was, as he said, an arm baby. So he was an infant. His older brother, Troman, uh, who was about 15 or 16 years older. It was a big family. (laughs) His older brother, Troman, uh, in Philadelphia, heard a Hawaiian musician. This is about 1937, as far as I could tell, heard a Hawaiian musician playing on the radio and arranged to take lessons from him. And uh, I couldn't prove it in a court of law, but I'm certainly convinced that it was uh, Jack Kahalapua, and uh, he worked at a studio for the uh, Oahu Publishing Company, and, and most of their studios were known as the Honolulu Conservatory of Music. And there was one a very, very close by, within walking distance from Troman's home. And also, I do have documentation that, that uh, the Oahu... Company was uh, sponsoring uh, musicians to play live on the radio, and the only t- real clue I had other than that was that uh, Troman's surviving daughter remembered that he took lessons from a man named Jack, uh, and he was Hawaiian. So from that, Willie, in the in the classic situation, Willie would steal his <laughs> his brother's guitar when he wasn't around, you know, steal away on it and and play it and. Uh, troman never did show him much according to willie he did show him a couple of things so troman allegedly played uh in the straight-up hawaiian manner kind of the schmaltzy uh you know legato manner and and uh uh, but willie incorporated the uh the pentecostal uh, singing voice and and the rhythms into his playing willie was a very very good singer and so he was very influential. He traveled, he was an itinerant musician. He played with a group called the Gospel Feast Party that, that toured from New York all the way down to Miami and, and, and a little bit, mostly on the Eastern seaboard. And, uh, but he broke away from them and he, he even made, I think uh, seven you know, 78s for a gospel recording company. So he was, he had a national presence. Later, he went on to be a big gospel music concert producer in Philadelphia, Produced concerts at the Metropolitan uh, Opera House. And he was, so he's sort of the start of things in, in the House of God, Keith Dominion. He influenced uh, Aubrey Jen's father, Henry Nelson, who became without a doubt the biggest influence in the, in the uh, Keith Dominion churches on, in the East. The first guitarist, steel guitarist I know of in the Jewel Dominion, the church that has a significant presence in uh, Mississippi, was a man named Fred Neal, who was from Guys, Tennessee, which is right across the border from Tupelo. And uh, he's, he's long dead. I did speak to his son, who lives out in Los Angeles. So those are two of the very earliest. And uh, they developed... You know, over the years, they developed their own way of playing. They they were they would listen to uh, country music. They would listen to the Grand Old Opry. They would even watch uh, hee haw just for they'd watch an hour of hee haw just to watch somebody play the steel for two minutes. But they had their own way of playing. And and in the House of God, conveniently, their their uh, big general assembly every year, which goes on for about ten days, is in Nashville, so they could go over to. Uh, uh, mostly, they went to the Showbud store and factory, which was uh, the, the, a very prominent steel guitar company, and uh, they would buy and try new equipment and get some pointers, and and so that's how that went. And and uh, uh, the, the the person that became the the really uh, the the strongest influence in the Jewel Dominion was Bishop Lorenzo Harrison. He was second in command. And it's uh, Chuck Campbell, who's from the other side, from the from the Keith Dominion, said, Lorenzo sty- "Lorenzo's playing wasn't just the style; it was the law." <laughs> well, that's that's pretty severe, but he he certainly uh, was the uh, the tradition bearer, of, played for decades. And uh, my my foray into Mississippi, the people that I heard, which. It was just a small sample, but they all played in the style of Lorenzo Harrison. So that's that's how that went. And then then later, you know, in the nineteen seventies, the pedal steel came in, and uh, uh, Chuck Campbell uh, up in Rochester, New York, was uh, a real pioneer in adapting that instrument to, so it would fit the music of the of these Pentecostal churches, so it wouldn't sound
0: like country twang. You're listening to the Arts Hour. Uh, I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Robert Stone. He's got a new book of photography out called Can't Nobody Do Me Like Jesus? Photographs from the Sacred Steel Community. I wanted to, before we if we got away from it, I wanted to kind of hear about maybe a little bit more about your remembrances. Now, in the book, there are photographs of, you know, from many communities, uh, many of the churches, including you have a section that of, of documentation from your your visits here to the churches in Mississippi. And so I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit more about your memories of that and, and kind of how those churches in that music tradition kind of differ from maybe the ones that you work with more frequently in Florida and and elsewhere. Certainly the, uh, the Jewel Dominion, the Church
1: of the Living God, Jewel Dominion does not have a really big Presence in Florida, uh, the the House of God in Florida, South Carolina, and Georgia, the House of God Keith Dominion has about forty or fifty churches in, in each state. I don't know that they have any. I don't know that they have any in Mississippi. So the Jewel Dominion uh, is very much the thing in Mississippi. But in the Jewel Dominion, the tempos are slower, by and large, for for the praise music is what I'm talking about, which is a big part of what you hear in the service. The praise music is what what gets the congregation up and dancing and uh, feeling the spirit, being anointed with the spirit. And they characteristically use a wah pedal, not to make the wah, 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 wah sound, which we heard in pop music of, what, the 70s and 80s, but they use it as a tone control and it makes a certain focused, sometimes growling sound. They also play on the bass strings a lot, do these sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, walking bass sort of boogie woogie kind of uh, lines on the bass strings, and we'll do call and response between the treble and the bass. But other than that, you know, it's it's very similar. There's just a lot of praising the Lord. They are both Holiness Pentecostal churches uh, they both have Sunday school before church. Uh, they have two services on Sunday and so forth. And, and I'm, but I will say from my limited, again, limited experience, in Mississippi, they tend to play that more traditional old school uh, Lorenzo Harrison style with the wah pedal and the slower tempos. And uh, generally, the, the the Jewel Dominion churches all play at a slower tempo. In fact, they say we we can dance all night. <laughs> they say the House of God, Keep Dominion people, will uh, wear themselves out quickly because of their brisker, more brisk tempos.
0: You talked about you know kind of how well you you know how this you know the the, the steel guitar is kind of the lead is the lead music music uh, instrument in the church. Maybe you could just kind of walk us through like a typical service and and the the steel guitars role kind of throughout the service how it kind of stays in the you know kind of becomes to the fore stays in the background and kind of uh you know is 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 there throughout the the uh, standard service
1: yes yeah, so i i'll i'll speak uh firsthand i guess about a, a a typical keith dominion service which is probably the same as uh, pretty much the same as the uh uh, Church of the Living God, Jewel Dominion. They start off with the announcement. She, she saw, I used to be able to quote it, but uh, it's taken from, uh, I think, the Psalms of David. And it says, you know, let us praise the Lord. And they, they start right off with a song that will segue into uh, praise music. Uh, after the song is sung, you know, there's a singer uh, up front leading. And uh, after a few minutes, the band sort of takes over and the band's so much louder usually that there's no more singing. And the audience at that time is dancing and shouting. Shouting is defined as uh, whole body movements and possibly voc- vocalizations, but not necessarily vocalizations in response to the, the music and feeling the spirit. And that those usually go, go on for eight or 10 minutes at a time. And then there'll be a, a, a prayer and then uh maybe some announcements and there'll be a sermon eventually the whole service is usually two two and a half hours long so when you come to church (laughs) you come for a while and then you can go right back at six o'clock sunday night and uh, for the evening service but during the early part of the sermon the the preacher will typically uh uh read from scriptures and then gradually he will uh evolve into uh transition into uh more uh, uh vigorous preaching and that's when the, the then the steel guitar starts playing and he'll uh, they'll do a call response thing you know the preacher will make some vocalization and and the steel guitar will go you know something in response not a very good response by me but uh and then that builds until uh finally the the sermon builds to this crescendo and then the uh the musicians take over sometimes it's a direct cue from from the you know might even be spoken or the the preacher might point to the band but more often it's just uh they know the the uh the steel guitarist in particular all the musicians really but the steel guitarist in particular keeps his eyes on that minister and on the congregation so he's there for one purpose and that's to elevate the service you know to to bring them closer to feeling the spirit and uh, so that's that's what they do and then they'll they'll take off for another long praise number but sometimes people will uh congregants will spontaneously sing from the pews and start a song the musicians have to find the key <laughs> and 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 pick it up so that's another important talent of the musicians is to find that be able to uh, play along with somebody who started sing singing and uh, spontaneously. There's a uh, group prayer and and uh, call to the altar, those sorts of things. And at that time, the musician might play very uh, sweet, uh, meditative music, softer. Then um, in the offertory in in the uh, in the house of God, Keith Dominion, rather than uh, pass the collection plates around to the congregation in an orderly manner. The congregation files by, the collection plates are up front, and the band plays a sort of a swinging march music, and they may play something like uh, Just a Closer Walk With Thee at up tempo, or When the Saints Go Marching In, or I'll Fly Away, they even have a tune that they call The House of God March. But it's uh, jaunty, you know, uh, fun music, and the idea is to put people in a good mood so they'll make a nice offering. And the, so the congregants file by. The ushers, you know, have them file by in an orderly manner, row by row. And they they sort of uh, it's almost like a New Orleans second line sometimes. You know, they have they're they're walking and marching rhythmically up front and making their offering and then returning to their seats. And then uh, eventually the, you'll get to a benediction and the service closes. Yeah. One thing I do want to mention is that although they they try to keep the service you know within a, term, a certain time restraint, the biggest there's a very high value put on being uh, feeling the spirit and being anointed with the spirit, and so if somebody's really going after it uh, and trying to feel the spirit, seeking as they say. Uh, they'll they'll take as long as it takes. You know, there may be ministers that that person will come up to the altar, and ministers will work with that person, and uh, coax them so they can f- better feel the spirit. and And if it takes fifteen or twenty minutes, makes the service longer, that's the way it's going to be. The, the preachers, the minister that's in charge, is all for it. The pastor. Mm-hmm.
0: This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. We're back for our final segment of the Arts Hour. And today we're talking with Robert Stone, who has a new book of photography out on the University Press of Mississippi, Can't Nobody Do Me Like Jesus, Photographs from the Sacred Steel Community. So, Bob, you say, it, so the book kind of covers, of course, you know, highlights all of the, the major musical innovators within, the, within this uh, tradition, But, um, I think you say in your intro, you, after a while of taking, you know, when you got started in, in, in documenting this in earnest, after a while, you could only take so many pictures of a, of, of the, of the steel musician. And so you, you started branching out and, and kind of, and the book kind of, um, reflects that you started documenting kind of the, the church and its, its traditions in, 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 total and not just the music.
1: Yes, as much as I uh, I love this music and as exciting and passionate and unique as it is, you know, there's, to me, uh, it's best understood in its cultural context. And uh, this is where I think my book provides something that, that hasn't been seen before, and certainly in a photography book. You can go on YouTube, and there's a lot of Sacred Steel stuff now, you know, amateur video. And, of course... Uh, The Arhuli Foundation video is available to watch for free on the Foundation's website, arhuli.org. But this book presents, you know, uh, the thing about still photos is you can look at them, you know, it sort of freezes a moment in time and you can look at them over and over again. Uh, So I, I broke it down into several sections, the first being church meetings, and I tried to show basically everything that goes on in a church service and including the architecture. Uh, in the back of the book, there are uh, uh, extended captions for the photos. I didn't want to clutter up the photos. Some of these extended captions are pretty long. So uh, basically it covers every, everything about church meetings, even you know, uh, fellowship and uh, frying chicken and, and, and uh, eating, so forth. I also have uh, wakes, funerals, and tributes. Of course, we know what wakes and funerals are. They usually call the uh, funerals are known as uh, home goings, and the tributes would include uh, church anniversaries for either uh, clergy members. You know, a bishop's fortieth anniversary in the church, say something like that, or for musicians, and of uh, at which time you know people come up front to the podium and, and give tributes. A verbal tributes, they donate money or, or other goodies and uh, the, the those people are expected to reciprocate when someone else is uh, being tributed, given a tribute and have, having a church anniversary. I have a nice section, I think it was a lot of fun on uh, celebrating God's glory through style and adornment. There's a lot of women's hats but I also have men's clothes and uh, What's interesting is that, uh, like most things, it's not monolithic. You know, it's, uh, there are actually scriptural bases for women to wear hats and to not wear hats. <laughs> and, uh, I've quote those both in the book. And, uh, so some, many women wear hats, especially at the larger assemblies and bigger meetings and others choose not to wear hats, but, uh, what is common, and some of the some of the men uh, dress very conservatively, you know, blue or black or gray business suits and conservative ties. Uh, others dress very flamboyantly, and there is debate between them about this. Some some people, some of the men, don't like all that flamboyant dressing, but it it goes on, and similar opinions among women. But they all agree that they're doing it. Uh, as one one musician put it they feature themselves as ambassadors for Christ. In other words, even when they're not in church, uh, they want to look their best and present themselves as the ambassadors for Christ. Uh, wow. I have a number of portraits here, which, which I enjoy doing, you know, trying to show some of the personality of the different musicians and singers and other people. And, and again, in the, in the extended captions in the back, where I can, I give some uh, uh, try to give some uh, good biographical information about the person. Uh, the Sacred Steel Conventions is another section that that was uh, public events where the where the musicians, especially the steel guitarists, could show showcase their talents in a church-like atmosphere. They would have uh, ministers as MCs. These were not church-sponsored events. So they were open to the public, but a big, you know, many members for the church communities came. So it was really a wonderful thing, especially for the younger musicians, I think, because they were on more or less an equal footing with, with the top musicians in, in the, the hierarchy of the church. And uh, many of the top musicians were unaware of, of some of these youngsters who were very, very talented. And people came from Europe uh, and all over all over the U.S. to see these sacred steel conventions. So that was very good. And then from that, a, a number of musicians uh, played at uh, festivals and concerts. I even went with the Campbell Brothers to Italy uh, for they were on tour for a week there. Well, since then they've they've been all over. They've even been to uh, China for about a week uh, under uh, the. Representing the U.S. Department of State, they played at the World Sacred Music Festival in Fez, Morocco, North Africa, and uh, for a while there. Of course, you know, COVID has really put the the brakes on all this. But but uh, they they probably gigged uh, twenty or thirty times a year, and 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 I'd say they were gigging in Europe and and Asia as much or more than the United States. So uh, yeah. They're probably the most widely touring. Robert Randolph, who's a young musician from uh, New Jersey, he got a big contract with uh, Warner Brothers and as uh, back in two, 2001 or 2002, he got that contract and he's still with them. He's been nominated for several Grammys. He's played on the Grammys award program on, uh, on TV. So he's he's still going strong. Another thing I covered the I think I mentioned that the church uh, was founded in 1903 so they had a big centennial event jeez it lasted about 4 days I guess up in Nashville and I I covered that and they had a parade and it was a really they were so proud that was just wonderful to be part of that and what's nice by then you know I'd been working on this in this field since 1992 and you know, just about everybody knew me. If they didn't know me, they could ask the person sitting next to them and they'd say, oh yeah, that's Bob Stone. You know, he's he's from uh, Florida and and, uh, he's doing a good job for us.
0: You're listening to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey and our guest today is Bob Stone. He's a photographer, folklorist from Florida and he has a new book out called Can't Nobody Do Me Like Jesus? Photographs from the Sacred Steel Community. I was curious about the photographs in the book. A lot of them, you know, show very kind of very um what would you say you know in the midst of it you know it's a pentecostal tradition people are very get emotional they get um you know get happy get and that so talk a little bit about how you approached documenting that through photographs video whatever and how did you um, how did you build the trust of of the church communities to to do that
1: well a quick answer about building trust one word, time, <laughs> and when you uh, you know when you appear over and over again, and and people you know people in South Florida would say, "I just saw you up in Nashville." I said, "Yeah, that was me," and and uh, vice versa, you know. So I was sincere with my relationships, and you know, would when I could, I would give people photos, especially of the the portraits and the 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 ladies in their their beautiful hats. And, uh, you know, I, I started, uh, of course, uh, I was when I started this, I was working for the Florida Department of State's Folklife Program and uh, working under a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. So I got I got a letter of support right away uh, for my first field documentation, a letter of support from the chief overseer, Bishop Elliott, the head of the national head of the church who happened to be a resident of Sarasota, Florida. So that that put a major stamp of approval on things. And, uh, you know, I just conducted myself professionally and cordially. I always dressed up when I went to church, you learn about limits. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't get on the, uh, the podium. You can't get near the preacher. You can't get up, up there, uh, to photograph. You have to respect that. And, and also uh, I would sometimes, uh, I would get a visual cue, uh, that, that, uh, I shouldn't be photographing something, you know, somebody would just the look they'd give me and, and uh, so I'd stop. And I want to say also that it's really easy to sensationalize African-American Pentecostal worship. And uh, I just didn't want to do too much of that. I think that's that's the wrong approach and it's all too easy to do. Uh, I've got some some photos of people uh, feeling a spirit. Some people that even fell out on onto the ground and uh, onto the floor, and and uh, people shouting and dancing. But I didn't want to concentrate on that and overdo it. Uh, it's, that's easily done. And and you know, I've, I uh, I had a prototype of this book that I did on a print on demand, using a print on demand company, and uh, had had several church members and friends look at this you know friends from the church community and uh, they like it and and they feel really good about it in fact the 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 book has been very very well received by them and and I love that you know and uh, I've also donated my my negatives my photographic archives and my interviews to the Orhuli Foundation and they'll be available to the public. The, some of the interviews already are so so that's been good but yeah building that trust was really important but Mostly working professionally, respectfully, and over a long period of time,
0: Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we head out for people, of course, I want they should definitely check out this book of photography. but for people who want to hear more of this music and, and read more, give us the details again about your other the other projects that you've worked on and and their availability.
1: Yes, well, the easiest way to get a a good picture of sort of the big picture. Uh, you could watch our Sacred Steel video that I directed for the uh, Arhuli Foundation, and you can go to arhuli.org. That's A-R-H-O-O-L-I-E dot org, O-R-G, and you can watch the entire, I think it's 55-minute video for free. There's also, you can just get on, say, Amazon.com and look for Sacred Steel in CDs and digital music, uh, and you'll find uh, nine albums, I think, don't be surprised if it, there's a German heavy metal band named Sacred Steel,
0: so that could come up.
1: <laughs> and then also my my book uh, from uh, that I published with the University of Illinois Press in uh, 2010. That's uh, titled Sacred Steel, Inside an African-American uh, Steel Guitar Tradition. Yeah, there's eight or nine CDs and uh, uh, a doc video and uh, two books now. <laughs> but i consider this book this is really the book that i really always wanted to do i'm a very visual person when i first got in the field of working as a folklorist i saw that there were many great visual opportunities visual documentation opportunities so i'm so glad that the arhuli foundation through their fund generous funding through a grant made this possible and i want to say working with the university press of mississippi has been just terrific. They're great folks, and I think they did a beautiful, beautiful job on the production of the book. I still can't get over, the printing is
0: just superb. Well, Bob, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it.
1: Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.